0: Good morning. My name is Chad, one of the pastors here. So thankful to be with you. Uh, I want to remind you about our Thanksgiving Eve service. Uh, If you can't come, we will stream it. And so you can look for it on there. We'd be thankful to be with you in either way. Um, I don't know what you were doing 10 years ago, but 10 years ago, I stood right there for the first time at Pleasant Valley Church. Yeah. Yeah. So we were hoping uh, that the Lord might be leading us here and so led worship that morning and then had umpteen meetings and with all kinds of people and and you guys extended a call and it's been just such a joy and a privilege to serve here and we look forward to many, many more years if you'll have us. Um, Yeah, amen. Let me pray and uh, we'll jump into God's word. Lord, thank you for the great hope we have in you, Jesus. Thank you for your gospel, (coughs) excuse me, for how much you love us. Lord, for the way that you pursue us and how you never give up. Lord, how your word is unstoppable. Lord, how your love is never ending. We ask this morning as we um, hear once again, Lord, from people who were with you, who saw you face-to-face, they knew what the color of your hair was, they knew what color your eyes were, they knew if your voice had a low or kind of medium or high pitch to it, whatever, Lord, they were with you face-to-face, and these stories have been passed on to us. I ask that they would transform us. God, you would move in wondrous ways this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, If you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 12 to 19. Um, I hope you're loving our study in the Gospel of Luke. I'm amazed at the way God's Word can still be fresh, Uh, even for somebody like me. I've been reading it a long time, and the stories that I read, sometimes I get to them. Wow, look at that. Thank you. COVID-free? Okay, good. (laughs) Um, I get to these, um, hang on, there we go, these stories, and they are fresh. There's something still new about them, and what I'm aware of is that God's word is living and active, that it's not dead and stale, that actually if you put yourself in front of God's word every day, the Holy Spirit will use it to transform you. And scripture says that it is profitable for teaching and correction, that it's timely, that when it is sent out from God's mouth, that it always accomplishes what it intends to accomplish, that it is never null and void, that it is right, it is pure, it is sweet to our soul. And so I've started to see, and you study the gospels and you see how they're put together. And you know that you know, Luke put this together for his friend Theophilus, we've talked about that. The Holy Spirit was guiding God, overseeing the writing of his word, but you watch Jesus start to crank up the pressure and the intensity with which he pursues human hearts and the stakes get raised the further you get in the gospel. So you can kind of, at the beginning, you can be somebody who's like, oh, check this out. The further you read, the more you will be like, no, that's getting too, that's too personal. That's too in my life, Lord. That's, it's on purpose. It's, that's the intent of you being in there. And so the more you're with Jesus, the more you listen to his word, you'll start to see your arguments begin to crumble. That's a good thing. You want that to happen. And I've started to see this thread of God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus. And I always picture it as red, just this beautiful woven kind of thread that goes into the dark and dreary and gray places of the fabric of our society and our lives. And it starts to make sense and there's truth and there's beauty. And the world is saying, no, everything is happening. It's awful. We have to fight for yourself, your own truth, make it up. Everything is relative. Do what you want. And here the gospel comes in and says, actually, no, there's only one way. There's only one truth, one absolute truth. And so I say that kind of that we set up every time we're in God's word, just to basically say, hey, look out. Because if you'd rather not have the Lord transform you and move in your heart, put in your AirPods or something, because that's just what's supposed to happen. Not because of me, but because I see it. I feel it when I read God's word. I apply the things that are happening in my own life, watching everything that's happening in our world that makes me anxious and nervous. And then I come to God's word and he says, Hey, remember this? And this thread is just woven into my heart. So I want to set that up for you this morning. I want you to expect it, I want you to hope for it, or I want you to get out because you don't want it. Just kidding. But I want I want the Lord to do that in your heart, and I want you to know that's what it's supposed to do. So let's just look at the first two verses: Luke 5, verse 12. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. This is Jesus, all night. All night. Let me just say that again. All night, he continued in prayer to God. When the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles, which just means sent one, a person who is sent. And so that's his sent ones. I love that Jesus likes mountains. I love that he made mountains. And this is an easy takeaway from the text, but it's one that we would do well to remember. You got to get away. You have to have a quiet place. You have to have time set aside to hear from the Lord. You have to be in his word. We know that phones, TV, social media, Netflix, whatever your poison is, they're not the mountain, are they? They really aren't. You don't say, I got to get with my phone. It's really going to bring me a lot of life. No, as I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago, I'm a doom scroller. That's all it's going to do. And so you need that time set aside with the Lord. Jesus models this. He goes, he works, he does We're in ministry, he talks with people, and then all the time he's slipping away. And I think it's cool that he goes up onto a mountain, almost as if he knew that we would do that kind of stuff too when he created them. We'd be like, oh, I'm so drawn to that. It's so big, it's so beautiful. And so Jesus goes up to the mountain and I'm that guy. I love fireside chairs, sitting by the fire, warming my hands, good coffee, going to some cool cabin with a view. Beach walks, mountain hikes with breathtaking views. Are you with me? But I'm more of a half hour kind of guy. Maybe an hour. Because what happens? Well, you go hiking in the mountains, and and eventually it's bugs and mosquitoes, and you get hot. Or you're sitting by the fire and the fire's dying down or it's wet and it's cold and the rock feels cold and it's not so cool anymore. It's like, well, I'd actually rather get back to this. I get distracted. I'm like you as a human being. I think about what I want to eat, what's going on with the world and the election, you know, all that human being stuff. So I see Jesus going up to the mountain. I'm like, cool. I like that. Awesome. To pray. I can work with that. I've done a few prayers in my life. And then he says he prayed all night. And I say, all night in prayer? All night? Really? Whenever you read verses and they just make you feel bad, you're probably reading it wrong. You're probably reading it wrong. But that made me feel bad. And so I had to ask the Lord this week. Come on. What is this about? Ask a lot of prayer. How did Jesus do that? Other than the fact that he has a leg up because he's God and he created conversation and language and sentences and letters and sounds and vocal cords. You know, all that stuff. But how does... A person, and Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time, how does a person do that? And knowing that he's God, why does he need to pray? Doesn't he know everything? Isn't what he sets out to do gonna be accomplished no matter what? Why do you have to pray then? Why do you gotta go ask? Why do you go to go talk to the Father? I remember being a senior in high school and I was a part of our church youth group um, leadership team. And so they let us do some things that they probably shouldn't. Like one time we planned a retreat, For our friends, we thought this will be great. We were trying to learn about poverty and hunger and those kinds of things. And we're like, let's do this. We created a retreat and they led us where once we got to the retreat center, this awesome place up in the Smoky Mountains, half the people we had selected, we would take their luggage from them. They weren't allowed to have it for the first night. And they had to go sleep without their luggage, without their clothes. And the first meal we had together, the people that lost their luggage got oatmeal And we got steaks and vegetables, you know, like baked potatoes. And it was really bad and a really bad idea to let students do that. And it was really bad because I was one of the leaders, but I got got picked to be the oatmeal guy. And then I was really unhappy about it. (laughs) But one of the things that they also asked us to do was, I remember our youth pastor saying this. He said, spread out around the room, get your Bibles, open this passage, and we're going to pray for 20 minutes. I was like, (sighs) I mean, I was like, no, I'm a senior in high school. Like I'm complaining, even in the middle of it. I'm like, this is impossible. Nobody can do this. This is so boring. Why are we doing this? Why can't we just do open in prayer, closing prayer like we always do? 20 minutes? How are we supposed to do that? Yet I read this and there it is. Didn't get omitted. Didn't say, parentheses, only Jesus does this. It just says he prayed all night and he liked it. And he wanted to be there. What am I missing? What am I missing? If you take a legalistic approach to the Bible that you read something like this, you're gonna read it and say, well, I better just get working on it. Better start working on it. There's something wrong with me. But is it that we might be missing it? So let's, let's talk about prayer for a second. Um, why is it that we share everything? We go around in a circle. We have a prayer meeting. We do this in staff too. And I think about this all the time. It's like, let's all tell everybody what we want to pray for. Let's write it down out loud. Then let's pray for it. And my first thought, I remember saying this when I was in high school. It's like, like he doesn't know. We just said it all out loud and he can read minds. So what's the point? And then you have those moments in a prayer meeting where the people who always pray, pray, and the people who don't want to pray, don't and the people who feel that awkward silence in a prayer meeting come to the rescue and pray because it's a good thing to do and we should do that. And never, we need to be praying here. Well, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm spiritual since you're not going to do it, right? And so I'm just thinking about all this stuff and it's just painful. And then I'm thinking, oh, one hour prayer meeting is tough for me. All night, Lord, what am I missing? Because it's here. He really did this. And I don't think it's meant to be this thing dangling in front of you going you're so bad if you can't do this. It's a model for sure, but a model of what? A model of writing a big list. Can you just get this stuff done? Be great. Thanks. Bye. Talk to you tomorrow. Is that what it is? The Lord brought back to my mind as I was thinking about this, and that's what I do when I'm in the word, by the way. I don't think, what do they need to hear? I spend time with Jesus in his word in whatever passages assigned to me, anybody that teaches up here does the same. And I let him do his thing. I let him work on me. And sometimes he prods and pokes and goes after things. And so this was a place last week. I told you how fasting is difficult for me. Well, guess what? Number two on the list is (laughs) prayer. It's hard. And so the Lord brought to mind though, something from years ago. Um, I was at a, just at a, a meeting, a college ministry meeting, and there's a worship leader. And he was singing this song, and it was one I'd never heard before. Um, and this was back when worship wasn't a thing yet. Like There weren't like a million worship bands and worship songs. Like we were still singing, Blind Man Sit by the Way, and he cried, like youth group songs, which, you know, he cried, Oh. You know, and I know some would be like, "That's right," because we had a mighty fortress is our God, and that's all we need to sing forever. And I love those songs too. And I wake up with them. I still remember the words to them. But this was different. He started singing, and here's what he sang. Here's these were the words: Can I sit with you a while? Can you hold me just as your child? Can I come to you with words so few and rest inside your heart? Can I sit with you a while? I remember listening and it one of those ways where, you know, the Holy Spirit is moving and coming after your heart. And I was like, what is this craziness? What is this? This is not like blind man. This is not like even the great hymns I've been grown up singing. This is different. This seems really authentic and like he's tapping into something deep. And I realized as I listened to it, I actually want to do that too. I would like to sit with Jesus and not have to worry about the words I was going to say. Just to be with him, just to let him, like to know I belong to him. Everything's good. Everything's safe with here, but also holy and reverent, not irreverent, but just Lord and friend, And I realized that maybe that, and the reason God brought that up was to say, hey, come on, think deeper about this, what I was doing up on that mountain. Maybe this represents more what praying all night was like, because hey, if I'm thinking about spending a whole night or hours with Lisa, my wife, I don't worry about that. I don't worry about that. I know there will be times when we'll be saying a lot, There'll be times when we'll be saying very little. And guess what? We're not going to be worried like, why isn't he saying something? What's wrong? Why have we run out of things to talk about? Like we got past that a long time ago. Like it's just, we know our relationship. We know that. Same thing with my kids. Like I love being with them. There will never be a time we are be like, no. Okay, let's get this over with. 20 minutes is all I can do. No. We'll just hang out, we'll play. Sometimes it'll be like earnest conversation. Sometimes it will be, I really need this, dad. What can I do? How can I figure this out? Same thing between Lisa and I. But I think that's closer to what was happening up on the mountain. That's, so when you see Jesus come down with decisions, it's not, he checked it all off and everything's good. There's relationship. There's something deep happening there. And true enough, we look in scripture, the rest of scripture, what's it tell us? the Trinity, they weren't just sitting up there like, "Mm, what should we do? Ooh, earth. Let's make earth. That'd be fun. No, they have perfect relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, you know how you have a friend or you have a family or somebody you love or somebody you care for? Do you know where you get that? You know what the source of that is? The perfect relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's where that comes from. And so when Jesus is interacting with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are having a grand old time the same way they have been since eternity past. That's what's happening up there. And they are also enacting, unveiling, unfolding, putting into place the plan. The plan before the foundation of the world to save you. And me. That's what's happening up there. That's what Jesus is doing with the Father. So he comes down, and hopefully that maybe stirred you a little bit. It stirred me to think about it, and and pushed me into a place of going, okay, I've got to think a little more about what prayer is like. He comes down, and he says, okay, I have 12 names. Sent ones, apostles. Not drawing names from a hat. Jesus wasn't up there with a Yahtzee cup. Mm -hmm. Oh, Peter, you know, that's not how it worked. They're drawing from relationship. This has been a plan. It's a plan that's been in place since before the foundation of the world. So strategically, thinking about the missions, strategically thinking about what's gonna happen. And I'll, I'll say this, I love sitting with the Lord. I love that he loves me. I love being like, you know, songs talking about loving him and just, you know, he's a comfort and he's a hope. But you know what else I love? I love being on mission. I love being alive right now in this time, which is pretty bleak in our world. It is. And I love that the Lord has said, Chad, you're going to be alive during this time. You're going to be on mission with me. So I like, I get, I get fired up when I see Jesus, not only in relationship, having a blast with the father, son, and Holy spirit, but also coming down and saying, Hey, I have something that I need you to do with me. On mission. That resonates with me. I like that kind of call from Jesus. I love being in relationship with him, but I love that he includes me being a part of his mission. What an honor. Have you ever thought about why 12? Now the easy one is 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus never does anything randomly. He wasn't thinking like, oh, there were 12 tribes of Israel. (gasps) That could give me some credibility. I'll do 12 disciples. No, he is on purpose, strategically connecting to the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of the Messiah promised, the 12 tribes, the same captain of the army of the Lord of hosts who stood outside the city of Jericho and spoke with Joshua. Oh, by the way, that was Jesus. Yes, that was him in the Old Testament. He is now on the scene. He is connecting the dots, pulling in the new 12. But there's also kind of a cool historical thing. I didn't even think about this. You ever wonder why there are 12 jurors? And one judge in 725, the Welsh King Morgan of Glamorgan established jury trials. And here's what he said. We need 12. You know why? Because as Christ and his 12 apostles will finally judge the world, so human trials should be composed of a king and 12 men. Interesting. Interesting, especially as we have all kinds of potential cases happening right now in our country, right? 12 jurors, 12 disciples. And by the way, I don't know if you knew this, but that is part of your role in the future. As believers in Jesus, you will judge and rule in the kingdom to come. I get Tennessee, just, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> you Tahiti, <laughs> there you go. Um, so it's strategic, it's intentional, it's specific. What kind of specificity? Look at verse 14. He called and chose Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, who I had a couple of people at first service point out to me that was Nathaniel. Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, also known as Thaddeus. Simon, who was called the zealot. Judas, the son of James. And the other one, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. I love thinking about this moment. And this is me also when I read the Bible. I'm looking in between. I wanna smell it. I wanna put my feet on the ground. I wanna touch it. I wanna hear the sounds. And so I look, I find a spot in the story where Jesus is just coming out of wherever he's been praying. You know, kind of imagine him (laughs) moving through the, the bushes or something, kind of coming out. Here he comes, here he comes, here he comes. And I imagine him coming up to this group of people. And I wonder, did he get everybody around? Hey, everybody gather around. I got announcements to make. I think Jesus is probably a little more subtle there are times he, he cried out, but I, I think he was, he was a master at using a moment and knowing how to speak to somebody and the timing of when to tell a joke. And if you don't think Jesus was funny or wasn't funny, you're, you're missing something. He created humor, okay? Guarantee you his timing was impeccable. Had people rolling, all right? But also knew the moments when people would be ready to hear, hey, I need to talk to you. I need to say something to you. And so I, I like to think about this, where he's walking up to them and I, I imagine maybe they sat down and everybody's like, what are you doing over there? <laughs> what, what have you been doing this whole night, Jesus? You know, you've been gone like all night. Like what, 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 you, what, what, happens up there? And then I just imagine him kind of looking. Last week we pointed that out. He looked everybody in the eye. I think he probably did that a lot. And I think people probably knew to look away because they felt like he was looking further than just their eyeballs, straight into their hearts, straight into their souls. And I think he said something like this, looking at them face to face, eyeball to eyeball and saying, Simon, I'm calling you. I'm inviting you as my friend, as family, as my honored servant to join me on mission. They would know it was more than just, hey, let's learn from him. This is, we're committing. So why these guys? I'll tell you this. It isn't based on skill set. It's not based on their reputations. It wasn't based on how they looked, what they did for a living, what they might bring to the group. Why them then? And I think our answer is because he prayed all night and hung out with the Trinity. And the answer needs to stop there. Not to say, well, he knew Peter would be a big mouth, but he could probably corral that big mouth into being this. And he knew this person would have these connections, this person. Not that he doesn't use those things, but there is nothing in these individuals that caused God to say, oh, you, totally makes sense. In fact, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. The only reason is because of himself. Jesus, why are you picking me? Because of me? Because of me. I watched uh, the movie Miracle probably for like the 10th time the other night. Um, Anybody see Miracle? Hockey team, 1980. Uh, I actually got to watch that in person on TV, not in person person, but uh, live when it happened, I was eight years old. I remember it, crazy time back then when everything was about Russia and like all the movies were made about Russians being bad guys and um, just kind of weird with really bad accents. But so I remember watching this. And so this movie does a great job um, of, this is pre-NHL players participating in the Olympics. So it's college guys against veteran Soviets who have won 20 years in a row. So they're going into an impossible task. And so they have this awesome scene of the tryouts. And he says, all right, boys, everybody gather around. First day, we're calling out the team. And they had a week, but the first day Herb Brooks knew exactly who he wanted. And so you watch this happen and he's just calling names. And they're like, the guys that get called are like, and everybody else is sitting there going, I hope I did enough. I hope there's something about my game and the way I play that would cause that coach to pick me. We're familiar with this, aren't we? We know this is actually how we do things in the world. We pick based on experience, based on qualifications. Who do you know? What have you done? Let me see your resume. Have I done enough? Have I played well? But not Jesus. That is not how he puts together a team. His method, his motivation is I am. How did you pick this team? I am. Why did you pick this team? Me. My perfection, my beauty, my goodness, my purity, my holiness, strength, power, love, kindness, me, myself, I, the Trinity, we decided we are the reason you're here. Now, that seems weird, but I want you to see it as the most amazing, beautiful thing ever <laughs> because it's why we get an opportunity to be a part just like we saw a couple of weeks ago when I showed you the clip from Matthew and Jesus picking him. And he's like, me? Yes, I want you. I want you. Not only because of who he is, his character, his perfection, but because of the relationship of the Trinity and because of his love. You know that verse that says we love because he first loved us. I always thought that verse meant this. Well, God loved me. It's pretty big love. So I've thought about it. It's a pretty awesome thing you did for me, and I've decided to love you back. I thought that's what it meant for years. Only last five years or so that I really started to understand it actually means. Because he first loved us, because we were a dead battery, frozen, thrown out into the yard, unable to do anything our own, Jesus pulls up in the Trinity Hemi truck and hooks up the cords, whatever those things, jumper cables, come on, Chad, you can do it. The jumper cables from the engine, he's revving that engine. The power is surging into the battery. It's the only reason you can even have a thought about loving him Back. You have nothing on your own. You have nothing on your own. He loves you. Jesus is loving these guys, choosing these guys, selecting them specifically, personally. We need a change that cannot be summoned from within. It must come from the outside. We need a call, a call based on someone else's perfect character, and a call that is specific, personal. We need to be selected, chosen, picked spoken to, and that's exactly what he does. Jesus calls you by name. Not a generic, everybody should do this. It's a really big deal. He calls you by name. Knows you inside and out. A voice must call to you. And in that calling, the jumble cables are hooked up to your heart because you are in a dead state, a perpetual state of saying no. I read last night, Dia Carson said, it's not just that you choose to sin, it's that you are in an active revolution and rebellion against the king. That is what it means to have a sin nature. You will always choose no, always. You will reject him. But when he speaks, the ability to respond is there. When he selects you, those cables are hooking up and you can just feel it, <laughs> coming through, but you got to turn the key. That is your part. And I don't, don't have that completely figured out. It's not a black and white thing. We know God calls. We know God enables. We know God gives grace. He does something that we can't do for ourselves, but he also tells us, hey, respond, follow, choose today. And it's okay. We can stay in that tension. The way I'm saying it today is he hooks the jumper cables up. All the power is there. It will start, but you have to turn the key. You have to respond. And I want to say this too about this list of names. Apart from turning that key, we are all Judas. We are all Judas. We are all in the same place. So he calls their name. His voice is strangely familiar. Some of them haven't known him for that long, but his voice is has a power to it. When he speaks, it's as if they've always known that voice. There's a memory inside of them. There's a picture. There's an echo of what they, and you and I once had tucked deep inside. It's corrupted. It's covered over. It's distorted, unable to help ourselves. But nonetheless, I know your voice. Why do I know your voice? Because he made you. Isaiah 43, Now thus says the Lord, he who created you, Oh, Jacob, you can put your name in there. He who formed you, fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You're mine. That's why it's familiar. He calls them by name. And look at the diversity in this group of people. Matthew, tax collector. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago. Absolutely fine to serve a corrupt government and to steal from people. Good with me. I'll do it. Seated, seated right next to him, let's just imagine. Simon the zealot. You know what he's committed to? Absolutely overthrowing the Roman government with violence if necessary. How do you get those two guys to sit in the same room and be on the same team? Only the power of Jesus, only the power of the gospel. It's a great word for us for right now, too. That is what brings peace. No movement made by man will bring peace. Only the gospel, only the blood of Jesus brings us together. Who else do we have in there? We got Peter, Andrew, James, John. They don't care about politics. They're not thinking about that. They don't talk philosophy, they fish. They get their hands dirty, they smell. They live in the mud of trying to make a daily living. We got loud people in the group. We got doubters. We got quiet people. We have those who are timid, afraid, weak, broken, shady, hopeful, angry, kind, basically the church. Uh They look like the church. That's why they look this way. That's why God picked them. Nothing in them other than they all need him. They're all diverse. And we do have two men named Judas. How many times do you think that Judas, son of James, had to say, I'm not him. It's not, I still love him. I'm still following him. People would be like, oh, my bad. I didn't. Wow, you're Judas too? I'm sorry, dude. Like, how many times do you have to do that? And then there's the other Judas who is still called. Why is he called? Now, scripture prophesies that there would be one who would betray him. But this shocked me this week. Now, Judas is, everybody knows, you don't name your kid Judas just like we don't name our kids Adolf, right? It's it's like a, a stigma thing. You don't do that. But yet Jesus still calls him knowing what he would do. Scripture reminds us. To me, this is a stark reminder that you can be near Jesus. You can minister with the church because Judas was sent out with the disciples to heal people, to preach to care for them, to bring them back to Jesus. He did this for three years. You can be near, minister with, be about the work of the church, and it's all just an act. Nothing has truly happened in your heart. But this is wild, and I read this this week. Many scholars believe that Judas could have been forgiven because who else betrayed him? Peter. And Peter was forgiven. Judas would not turn the key did not have the faith to turn the key. So I think about Judas and people walking away today. And I think that there are two reasons, this is my simple understanding, but one is this. One, they could be a prodigal right now and people walk away, say, I don't wanna do this or they stay away. A prodigal who will stray for a time, but will eventually come home. Second option is that they don't know him. And even though they played the game for a while, they never knew him. And they won't come home. This is the only two options scripture gives us. You know him or you don't. And in between there's all levels of pretending and kind of weaving in and out. So you've been called, your name's been called. You realize there's a lot more behind it than just a raffle. There's relationship that's been in place. There's a plan that's been in place. There's things unfolding. And I think after Jesus called their names, maybe there was a kind of a pause and then say, okay, well, now what do we do? What's next? Verse 17. He came down with them. Don't skip over words. He came down with them and stood on a level place. Why? Just to hang out, just to talk about how it wasn't that great up there Where we talked about how we were all gonna be in this group? no. And there's a great crowd of disciples, other people following him. And then there's a great multitude of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, the seacoast of Tyre, Sidon, hundreds, maybe thousands coming. They want to hear him. They want to be healed by him. They have unclean spirits. They're troubled. They want to be cured. People are amassing around Jesus, wanting him to touch them. And when he does... Power comes out of him and they're healed instantly. He comes down. You have to come down from the mountain. You can't stay up there all day. You can't hide yourself away from the world and wait for the return of Jesus. It's a very practical thing to take away, but it's another thing just you should draw from this. You don't hide away in your faith. There's work to be done. So he comes down with them. Hundreds reaching out, want to get near him, want to touch him. Because rumor has it, when he does, it's real. It's not a Band-Aid. It's not, hey, try this and let's see what happens tomorrow. We'll pray about it. (laughs) We'll pray about it and see what happens. No, he actually, it happens immediately. And this is a cool prophetic and a a picture, a foretaste of what the kingdom of God will be. We know he didn't heal everybody, right? Right. We know that it wasn't like, hey, everybody can be healed all at once. In this passage, it says he healed all of them, but we know he would go to other places and pick one or two. But what is he saying about himself? He's saying that he's the king. He's saying that he has authority. He has the ability to heal, and that the kingdom is here, but it's now and not yet. And you need to hold on to that in your own life, especially when you see difficult things happening in the world. The kingdom is now, but it's not yet. There is a reality that we know, that we understand, that thread of the gospel that runs through our lives and through the world. There's also a not yet. There's a spiritual aspect and there's a physical aspect to the kingdom. We experience mostly the spiritual right now. The physical though will come. What does that mean? We will see a real return in the the body of Jesus Christ, the resurrected King. That will happen. What will happen? Some of the things you can read about. No more sickness, no more death. Everybody answers for what they're gonna do. Every nation, every leader, president, whatever, they're gonna come before him. All of us, we have to answer for our sins, for every decision we made. There will be a physical aspect to this. But for now, he is slowly revealing himself. He could have come and inhabited the temple, popped down, set off fireworks, lightning bolts from his hands, red eyes, you know, loudspeakers, even though they didn't have those, where everybody could know, come to Jerusalem, get healed. Man, that seems like an easy way to get it done, Jesus. Just just get everybody there. He didn't do that. Instead, he picked his dream team, the disciples, these scruffy guys in the church in a quiet, almost subversive way of seeing the kingdom start to make its way into people's hearts. Reminds me of the passage in Corinthians that says he uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God doesn't use our way. He uses his way. I was drawn to that phrase that says he came down with them. So just just flesh it out here a minute. Um, I was thinking about Nathaniel Bartholomew, who we know a little story about, but most of the time there's some of these disciples, they don't get any love right? We don't talk about them. We don't say, hey, tonight we're going to talk about Bartholomew for a while. Like he's, he's one of those. So I, I wanted to think about him and how did he interact having been chosen by Jesus to be on mission with him. It's day one, they're out there. So let's say a woman came up to him amid the Black Friday lines of people wanting to get to Jesus. Okay. They're like, go to get my TV. Like they're all, everybody wants to get close to him. And she comes up, she says, I, can I get close? I need him to touch me. And here is probably the most simple explanation of what it means to be somebody who is sent by Jesus that I can give you. Bartholomew looks at her and says, well, I actually am, he he called me to be his, his apostle. You imagine him kind of stumbling over this thing. I don't really know how to do this. But here's the simplicity of what it means to be a follower of Jesus right now in this world. I know him, I can get you to him. That's it. Don't complicate it. That's your role. If you know Jesus, you already have fallen in love with him. You know, he's the way and the truth and the life. Guess why you're still here? To be able to say to people, I know him. I can get you to him. I know the way to him. I have access. Jesus would actually say this to the disciples later on in the New Testament. I have given you the keys to the kingdom so that what you bind or loose, what you open or close on earth, it will be as if it is open and closed in heaven. What is he saying? You can open doors for people. I'm giving you keys. You can turn the key. You can open the door. Somebody who may be like, I don't know about church. I can't do that. Things like, no, no, no. Hang out with me. I know him. I can get you to him. That's what's happening here. The disciples are already, and the apostles already starting to show people who he is. Final kind of thought here. There are three groups here, even tiers of people. We have the apostles, those who've just been selected. We have the disciples, others following, and we have the multitudes, hundreds and thousands who want to get near Jesus. If you haven't figured it out yet, there's one group that gets to spend almost all of their time with him. They will be with him when they are out and about ministering to people. They will be with him when he goes to pray or to rest. They will share meals with him. They will laugh at his jokes. They will travel with him. Call me selfish, but I wanna be in that group. That's the group I wanna be in. As close to Jesus for as long as possible. In every situation, I have no problem saying this. I wanna be in Jesus' inner circle. That's what I want. You know where my prayers, my pathetic prayers have ended these past few weeks as I've watched what's happening in our world? A lot of times I get through your list, you're asking these things and I find myself doing this very thing, just saying, Lord, I just, can I just hang out with you? <laughs> can I just, is there any way you could just let me know the reality of what it means to belong to you? Can I understand again the love And then I start imagining things like what it will be like to be with him when he returns and to be able to talk to him and sit down and have food (laughs) with Jesus, you know, like to, to understand what it's like to have him tell a joke and laugh until my gut hurts or to understand the deepest things of scripture in a way that I've never understood before because he's explaining it. My prayer's in there all the time. That's what I want. I want to be in that inner circle. I don't want to be outside. I don't want to be middle of the road. I don't want to be in the fringes. I want to be close, next to you. Can I just tell you, you should as well. That should be what you want because that's exactly where he wants you. When he vanquished sin and death on the cross, rose from the grave, having punched death in the mouth, and poured out his spirit at Pentecost, an invitation to his inner circle was given to you. That's what we're seeing played out here, picking of the disciples. Yes, he's putting together the plan that's gonna develop the church, but he's giving you a glimpse of his heart of what he wants with every person. He doesn't want you to stay on the fringes. He wants you close in relationship and close in mission. He's asking, he's asking, doesn't want you just to know some Bible questions. Every once in a while, do something with the church or with them. He wants your whole life. May I encourage you, say yes. Say, I want to be in Jesus' inner circle. It's the only safe place right now. It's the only safe place right now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for... Wow, just, I just love your word. I love how you pursue me. Just, just to be selfish here for a second, I just love the way you've been so relentless. But even when I thought I've been very creative in my ways to avoid you, you're really good at chasing me down. You're really good at knowing exactly the moments to call to me. And so Lord, I just say on a personal level, I'm in, I'm in. No matter what. And I thank you for that Holy Spirit jumper cable power surge that I sense coursing through my heart right now that allows me to say that. But I also pray, God, for uh, those here who maybe they're worried, they're anxious, they're scared, uh, maybe they're indifferent, calloused, pulled back from you, somewhere in the middle of the pack doing the stuff, not really experiencing the beauty of that perfect relationship that you modeled with the Trinity. God, would you rev that engine a little bit? Let them sense your grace is fully available for them and that they can respond by just saying, yes, yes, Lord, I want to follow you all my days. I remember a very simple chorus, all of life comes down to just to one thing to know you, Jesus, and to make you known. And may we live that out. Uh, we bless you, Lord. We ask uh, that you would, according to your word, even now as we sing, bless us, keep us, make your favor shine upon us, give us the only peace that is true peace, the peace of the cross and resurrection, ascension, glorification, and soon return of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.